This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large. Uh, let's see. I'm going to say it. Coming at you for another hour of podcasting power here on YouTube. Uh, let's see. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever good podcasts are sold, you can find us. And this week, I am really excited, actually. I'm in a particularly good mood today also, which helps, uh, because I am welcoming, as you can see here, Alexis Erlin. And she is someone, hey, Alexis, welcome <laughs> to the show. Hi. <laughs> hey, so um, she actually reached out to me a couple weeks ago and we arranged to do this uh, talk. And we have had very little talking between us um, this first time we've met or interacted. And she told me a little bit about her story. And she is a survivor, you could say, of the Pentecostal movement. And this mm -hmm. is something I am keenly interested in. Um, because the various denominations and flavors of Christianity are numerous. They are legion. Yes. And it is so interesting finding out the different interpretations and ways that people seem to feel they need to express their Christianity. And the Protestant movements especially, you get some pretty wild stuff. Uh, so Alexis offered to tell her story. And she also, now Alexis, you are also a YouTuber or you have a platform? Uh, we don't have anything on YouTube yet, but I do have a podcast. It's called When the Bow Breaks. It centers around family estrangement. So if you've lost contact with or ceased contact with a certain family member, that's kind of what the show is about. And we also talk about subtopics like anxiety, depression, or just coping with loss and grief because it's a you know different kind of thing. Uh, so I just started the podcast just to kind of create a resource out there for others who were kind of experiences, experiencing the same thing that I experienced. Uh, so yeah, that's just kind of what it's about. You can check us out on www.wtbbpod.com. <laughs> and we're yeah, <laughs> trying to figure out yeah. that name. <laughs> <laughs> I practiced it a couple of times. Yeah. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much everywhere, I think, except for Pandora, because it's that's an American thing. So we're in Canada. So, right. uh, but yeah, pretty much everywhere. You can look us up, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Twitter. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, obviously, links will be uh, included here in the show notes on that and in the description section below, as I always like to point uh, here on YouTube. So, all right. Well, you know, I, uh, first off, as I was just saying, I did I did very little research on this, and actually for on purpose because um, uh, you know the lived experience of a religious group or a cultic experience is often very different from what you read about. Uh, you know, you look it up on Wikipedia, or you look these things up, or you go to the the websites or the information that gets put out by some of these groups, and they paint a very rosy picture. Wik not not Wikipedia so much, but you know when you when you try to go to these groups and and say, hey, what are you guys are all about? Oh, nothing but sunlight and flowers and rainbows. It's beautiful <laughs> here. You should join us. Mm -hmm. Join us. Yeah, <laughs> right, so, right. <laughs> you know, but then the lived experience tends to be, eh, maybe not so many rainbows, maybe not so many flowers. So, Yeah, more like hellfire and brimstone. Sinners <laughs> <laughs> right, in the hands of an angry God. Uh, yeah. I love that stuff. I really yeah. actually kind of do. I, I like 
the literature of it. I like uh-huh. the phraseology, the wording, the way they put words together. I got to say, I have admired some biblical literature and obviously not even the original stuff. I mean, the original stuff is in some other language I don't even speak, can't even think with. But when it gets translated into English, you get some of these melodious phrases and, you know, mm-hmm. some of the stuff in the Psalms, some of the stuff in it, you know, of course, Quentin Tarantino <laughs> made up his own Ezekiel. But he made it up very similar to how it actually reads. You go look that stuff up, you're like, damn, this is some yeah. hardcore stuff here, you know? And uh-huh. I, 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 was, I was first introduced to it in high school, reading Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was presented to us as a literature piece, not a religious piece. Mm-hmm. Hardcore stuff, you know? <laughs> like you are going, like, God's pissed, man. And you better get with the program, right? He was, yeah, because he could come any second. Yeah, exactly. And you could, you know, and if you die and there you are and it's day of judgment and yeah, it's going to be going to be bad. Yeah. You really put it in this like extreme language. I mean, even sinners in the hands of an angry God, you picture this like, oh, my God, you know, dangerous. Um, (laughs) No, I've always kind of thought that was kind of fun and interesting from a language perspective, you know, Uh Uh, yeah. Language is key. Language is really important. And um, the way we word things can often be just as important, maybe sometimes more important than what we're saying, the content of what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly has an effect on how we receive the information. Absolutely. So, yeah. So anyway, so let's enough about that. Let's talk about <laughs> you. So um, so what what is the, what's the basic of your story? What, what happened? How did you get involved with Pentecostals? And um, yeah, let's start with that. How'd you get involved? Okay. So yeah, well, there's a lot of details to that. So I'm, I've kind of condensed my story a little bit just to make it easier for the episode, but both of my parents were raised Christian. My mother was raised Lutheran. My father basically his father was raised in an old country church. So they eventually immigrated or migrated to California and there's a church on every corner there. And that was back in the Jesus movement. So churches were popping up everywhere. Everyone had a neighborhood church that they could walk to in my neighborhood. I grew up in Los Angeles. So to start there. Me too. Yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. Okay. So like, can I ask whereabouts? Yeah. right. I, I grew up about five minutes away from the Rose Bowl. Oh, awesome. Okay. I was in Long Beach. Okay. Okay. Or Lakewood, you know, to be more specific. Yeah. (laughs) Down there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I'm from. Cool. And so, yeah, there was a church on every corner. So I grew up with a very religious family. Both my parents were considered themselves to be ministers. Uh, They had four of us and we traveled at different churches or missions or any place, anyone, any anyone would invite us to come and we would sing and we would play music. That was our thing. We were kind of, a lot of people said, Oh, like the Von Trapp family or whatever, yeah, more or less. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, actually their job. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, they didn't get paid. Well, we didn't really get paid for it, but uh, sometimes huh. people would, would give offerings of like blessing offerings or okay. thank you offerings or, or things like that. Uh, but no, my parents just did this for free because this is what they felt God was calling them to do was to minister and share their testimony. 
Wow. So that's what we did. And uh, there's a lot to my story, but most of the Pentecostals and the fundamentals and things like that took place during my early childhood years. So my early development uh, is basically really messed up <laughs> because of, you know, certain things that happened. But we ended up settling at a church. This is the one that I think caused the most damage to me psychologically, I guess. I did not have a good experience in this church. Um, it was a Pentecostal church, but it, it wasn't so much the traditional form where everyone's got the bun and the long hair. And I'd been to churches like that, but our church was a little more modern. So we dressed modern, you know, there wasn't really a whole lot of differences between us and the mainstream other than we spent the majority of our free time at church or with other people from church. I saw very little of um, uh, Gentilism. Uh, my the mother felt very, world. yeah, oh. non-Christians. Right. Uh, right. My mother felt very uncomfortable with our neighbors because they weren't believers and she would let me stay at so-and-so's house, house, but not this person's house, you right. know. Right, for those discriminatory. Like that. let's, let's actually say for, for just a second, just to clear this up with people, because I'm sure mm -hmm. there's a lot of people listening who are kind of like, okay, Pentecostal, what? Yeah, yeah. okay. So what, what is the, what's the fundamentals <laughs> of that? What's that about? How, what's okay, well, I'm going to give you my for? kids' perspective. <laughs> Basically, they're very charismatic people. They believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so speaking in tongues. Okay. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with speaking in tongues, basically the Spirit of God enters you and gives you another language that nobody apparently can understand except for God. And uh, they encourage this, um, you know, fine, whatever. I'm not here to point fingers or blame the whole entire organization of what happened to me because every church has their thing right every organization well, there's a lot of yeah <laughs> pentecostal in and of itself can mm -hmm. have different right variations and interpretations within it do i have that, that yes right yeah okay. right like for example um some churches they didn't have television they wouldn't you know they were more or less like um i would say more closer to being mennonite or or even amish some of them yeah. Uh, but our family was, you know, like, again, they were more modern. And so you could wear, you know, the teased hair. Maybe you were discouraged from wearing makeup or, you know, things like that. Or if you had a boyfriend or a love interest, they had to be, be with a Bible within a Bible's length of you. You had to have enough space to fit the Bible next to you. A Bible. <laughs> so, yeah. Is that, is that a Bible? Um, let's see. Is that a Bible? Oh. <laughs> This way, About, or this no, way, or this way. With like, yeah. <laughs> oh, longest distance between you. I guess it depends on which church granny you ask, because they know all the rules right. of courtship, apparently, in the right. Pentecostal church. But um, yeah, so I remember funny little things like that. Um, could they? Yeah, can they drink the coffee? Uh, after church or before church, but never during church. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Of Alcohol. course, nowadays it's like they encourage that. You know, they got coffee shops in front of churches. Hey, come in, have a cup oh, of yeah. coffee. Come in. Oh, that would never, that was never allowed. I remember we were singing once uh, on stage, and um, I guess someone had given me a stick of gum before we performed. And so I sang the whole entire thing with gum in my mouth, no problem. And my dad, he was a little bit embarrassed. He's like, I never knew a kid who could sing with gum in her mouth. <laughs> 
There you go. Um, but anyway, so little things like that. It was just kind of like no nos in church. That was really mild. Getting okay. up to go to the bathroom, you know, that was discouraged. Things like that during church. Um, but got a little more extreme. So if I so like on any given Sunday, I would walk into church, I'd be greeted, uh, pleasantly greeted by you know certain members of the church that would you know were always there saying hello, handing out pamphlets or whatever bulletins or you know whatever shaking your hand hello hi sister so and so it was brother always sister or brother so and so we never really you know we always acted like we were family uh we were brothers and sisters in christ right uh, because being accepted into god's family we were a family now right so we come in that, we're welcomed as family that, that's exactly the kind of thing i'm talking about with the language uh-huh yeah that actually creates you know it, it relates it right back to kin and you know there's all these you know, biological kinship bonds. And now you have this new family and it's all so wonderful. And yeah, it's all part yeah. of the love bombing yeah, exactly. <laughs> portion of things, um, right. I guess. So yeah, you're welcomed in at first and, you know, you socialize a little bit before church. There's ushers that help you find a seat. Our church wasn't very big, so it wasn't very difficult. More or less, they were there to kind of police the church, make sure that the cars weren't being stolen out of the parking lot, because <laughs> uh, that happened. My sister's car was Los stolen. Angeles, yes. Yeah, my sister's <laughs> car was stolen in the church parking lot one Sunday. Right. It was a whole big dramatic thing at church, I remember, one night. Uh, but, you know, things like that. We'd walk in, and there would always be singing to start, and it would always be something really fast and fun and everyone's clapping their hands or it's tambourines there's people shouting some people are dancing running up and down the aisles uh you know from time to time I, so gotta, else, I gotta admit for a church experience that sounds like fun it does sound like fun you doesn't know, it like if you're gonna do it you know because yes. i i i very briefly um i guess you could say experimented I, I, <laughs> so many, whatever with that word. But like when I was a when I was a teenager, I uh -huh. I had just barely gotten involved in Scientology. One of my friends was part of the Foursquare Church, and there was a youth group, and you know, like for teens. And of course, that's a place you could go meet girls. And so, you know, uh -huh. I, I went the Foursquare there. Church, yes, <laughs> yeah. And I went there with him, and we had a youth pastor, and we would you know hold hands. The first time I got to hold hands with a girl and Ooh. pray and all that sort of thing. But it was pretty boring. You go into the main church and it was just, uh, draw, 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 draw. Yeah, right, uh-huh. Oh, God, Sunday service. And I would look around and people would just be flat out, uh, sleeping, <laughs> just flat out, almost almost snoring, you know? It was really, it's very, very, very boring, yes. Very. I spent so, some time in the Foursquare Church, yeah. Oh, okay, there you go. So then you go to... You know, you hear about something like this and, you know, you go, you all, yeah, the singing and, you know, the, the, the tongue thing and, and, you know, speaking in tongues. And that is a little bit like, okay, well, that's a little bit wild, but, but the getting up, the cheering, the, you know, the really making it a kind of group experience and it's fun and exciting. I, I don't know. I, if I thought God was real, that is definitely how I would want to be communicating with him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. that's that's what we did that was the first thing we we did was we would get together as a family we'd play music we would yell you know so my family would lead the band more often than not the pastor he had a pretty decent voice so he was up there you know up the pulpit singing leading the music I mean it was great I loved it 
I fell in love with Jesus when I was seven years old during a worship service. And I accepted him into my heart when I was seven years old during a worship service. Right. Music was something that now looking back on it was something that was used to stir up emotions. Of course. And people and in me. And so, so, you know, all that sounds really fun. Like uh, we would get up and we would go out to our Sunday school classroom and while we would do that, the whole church, they would sing a song, like a kid's song. Mm. Um, I can't remember, I'm trying to think of some. But they would say, uh, they would sing the song and we would all get up and leave because we were supposed to be really excited to go to Sunday school, mm-hmm. right? We were going to go have our class and have the Bible be interpreted in a way we could understand because uh, we didn't like the King James <laughs> stuff that, you know, as an adult, you know, and I both like find very interesting the language, you know, and stuff like that of, you know, of the actual Bible. And, but as a kid, you know, those are hard to understand. So, you know, they start with little stories like, oh, Jesus loves you. Right. And it's like, oh, this God's son, he loves me. Yeah. In comes the That's, indoctrination. Let the indoctrination mm-hmm. begin immediately immediately the first thing they tell you is jesus loves you that's the first song that you learn as a kid when you're growing up in a christian home especially pentecostals jesus loves you there is jesus loves me this i know blah 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 for the bible tells me so yeah that that Mm -hmm. whole thing okay Mm -hmm. yeah Uh uh-huh i hate that stuff Uh, (laughs) it triggers me now yeah it does Uh, but yeah, it immediately starts. And that's more or less what I kind of wanted to talk about was my experience of being indoctrinated as a child. Yeah. Uh, because this, this church more or less was my, (laughs) I had the most worst experiences in this church. When I got older, it got more interesting. It was, you know, different church, different circumstances, uh, but same kind of problems. Right. Uh, Just, but it all sits on this fundamental base of indoctrination. Yes. And this isn't like, you know, we go to church on Sundays and I'm being indoctrinated once a week. Mm. My parents study this. They preach this. When my dad wakes up in the morning, early, early, early in the morning, the first thing my dad does after he has breakfast is my mom and he, they pray and they read the Bible together. They pray for each of their children. Uh, They get up and my dad goes to work. Well, he's long since retired, but uh, he would go to work, he'd come home. Yeah, we'd pray at every meal, pray, pray, pray. And while my dad was gone at work, I was homeschooled. And uh, I had, I, my, my mom, my mom yeah. I had mostly ACE curriculum. I don't know if any listeners or viewers have, are familiar with the ACE curriculum or life packs. Well, please, uh, please elaborate. Okay. <laughs> have you ever heard of the quiverful movement? Oh, yes. Yes, this is basically connected with that. So yeah, I would just say everyone do your research about that because it's really interesting. Well, as a matter of fact, you can do your research right here on my channel because the single most popular video I've ever posted was an interview with a survivor of the Gothard homeschooling cult. Oh, wow. Yes, yes. I think I saw that one. Yeah, that was with Christiana. And she and I just had a conversation. This was years ago. I did this with her. And then a year after that, we, it took me that long to get my wits around the teachings from Gothard and the wisdom books and the, and the homeschooling programs and the mm-hmm. seven principles and all the stuff that he puts out. And um, once I finally got my wits around it, she and I, I was able to get the script together and she and I did it together. 
And we broke down Gothard's whole seven principle nonsense and how it's a, you know, very open to interpretation kind of cultic system of thinking where, you know, it's very, very much, um, it's a very oppressive system and especially Mm -hmm. for women and children because it puts dad at the top and there's the umbrella of protection and, you know, protecting yourself from the darts of Satan and this kind of thing. Yeah, they want you to think that that is the only way a family can properly conduct itself. Right. So you grew up under that system. Yes. Oh, yes. Dad was the law of the land. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't matter if he was wrong. It didn't matter if he was doing something stupid. Whatever he said went. And mom supported that. Yep. And uh, yeah, so... I had, yeah, I wasn't just indoctrinated on Sundays. This was, this was our life. This was what my family practiced. This is what we embraced. Uh, so I was homeschooled in, you know, with the ACE curriculum. And if you're familiar with the ACE curriculum, each subject, they come in little booklets. They'll have little cartoons with little messages and little stories of, you know, I don't know, it's supposed to be morals, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all the lessons their names. are aligned to, if I the remember- character's this, names are really funny. Yeah. <laughs> if, I, this may or may not be the same thing as the, as Gothard's wisdom booklets, but it, but it, mm-hmm. the, the whole thrust of it was aligning every lesson, um, whether it was geography, math, uh, even science principles, all of it curved to align with biblical passages yes. or, or saying. Yes. Exactly. It took me about a week and I don't know, a few days to get through one pact. And every time I learned a pact, I, there was a verse that I had to learn with it. So every single subject, like you said, so I was memorizing seven, eight verses, at least a week. And that was just for school. Right. First, there was all this Bible stuff I had to learn too. Even math. I had, there was a a Bible verse that went with math, spelling, uh, or they called it word building, um, English, a Bible verse for everything. So that was just school. (laughs) And then not to mention the plays that I was in in church. Uh, Also, Uh, I think uh, I was at church almost every single day. uh, If it wasn't for music, if I wasn't singing about Jesus, I was uh, playing a character, uh, learning Bible verses, more of that. It was constant for me. And I had fun with it. It wasn't like I have all these terrible, terrible memories. There's quite a few that really messed me up. But for the majority, I felt like I was having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but... It's just the content of what they're indoctrinating you with, because... It, it, and this is your six, seven, eight, nine years old. Yeah, yes. So this is so, of course, we're going to stress right now. Mm-hmm. In case anybody's watching this going, what's the problem? The problem is, <laughs> is... <laughs> it, it, is I, I I don't I almost don't care what the religious doctrine is. I don't care, you know, Scientology, Pentecostal, Lutheran, whatever, Buddhism. Yeah. You're you're indoctrinating children who are not yet capable of critically thinking about the material you're giving them. It's mm-hmm. simply not possible. You're teaching them to rest on these methods based on faith. So it's hard. For me, for example, as an adult, to solve problems sometimes mm-hmm. because I'm used to praying about it. I'm not used to learning how to solve my own problems or fixing it. Right. I'm supposed to give it to God. And that damaged me as an adult. And it made me reliant on my husband. Mm-hmm. And that made me vulnerable to a lot of bad things too. 
I didn't really get out of this faith until I was in my 30s and I saw it for what it was. I didn't leave the faith because of my trauma. I left because I realized this is not healthy for me. Mm. This isn't doing me one bit of good. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm being taken advantage of all my life. So, you know, I go to Sunday school and they'd have little fun messages. But then for Sunday nights, when the sun would go down, it was all messages from the book of Revelation. Read the book of Revelation. Revelation, you'll see how insane it is. And they preach this stuff and they had, they kept kids inside the service. And they're basically talking about earthquakes fires, floods, famines. And they're telling you that basically this stuff is already happening in the world. So God's coming back any second. So as a kid, you start to prepare for a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Any second of the day, you are anxious. I was anxious all the time. I mean, I don't know if that was true for the other kids who grew up with me, But for me, I was anxious all the time. We would leave church and I would be crying. I'd be shaking in the car. And finally, my brother would be like, what's wrong with you? You know, he was much older than me. He was like a teenager and just, you know, any little, anything a little kid did, oh, stupid, you know, you're young, you're little, whatever. You don't know anything. So he would tease me that I was crying. I was upset about this. The pastor said, there's going to be a big earthquake. Well, there is. And then I would just start crying more and, you know, just getting upset. And no one was really understanding that this was really, really scaring me. And then I started to develop nightmares from that. I had nightmares before that for other things, but uh, that were non-church related, just having to do with my family. Uh, You can listen more about that on my podcast if you're interested. But but, uh, I started to develop more and more nightmares about, you know, end of the world, being separated from my family, vivid nightmares where I could feel pain. And so I was essentially being tortured every night. And when I would tell my mother, this was my mother's response. So mom, I can't sleep. I'm having bad dreams all the time. Well, you must have done something wrong. What do you mean? Well, the only reason you would have bad dreams in your life is if you have sinned and if you've allowed, basically, this is more or less what she would tell me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, I did something wrong and I invited a demon into my life and I was now possessed. So demons are demons as individual (laughs) entities separate from Satan as the king demon. Yeah. are a real thing in 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 this religion. Yes. In this they religion. are a very very real thing. They are were always surrounded by them. There's always angels and demons battling. Whenever there's conflict anywhere, they think that there is spiritual warfare. They mm. blame that on spiritual warfare. Mm. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like it's it's basically yeah, angels and demons constantly around you all the time. That was another thing. Things that you can't see are all around you. And are they influencing your thinking? Well, this was what always confused me when I was growing up. I was like, but I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm not trying to invite anything. And it's like, yeah, do they control me or not? Mm -hmm. It depended on who I asked. And And according to your parents. Well, according to my mother, because I wasn't really allowed to talk to my dad about this stuff. Oh, uh, I was a- alienated from my father by my mother. Uh, she didn't want me talking to him because my mother, she basically eh, more or less abusive and neglectful, but she had mental illness. So undiagnosed mental illness. So I don't really blame her for a lot of those things now. Mm. Um, 
you know, I've accepted those things, but that was more having to do with her personality. She had narcissistic personality disorder. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, I might've talked about it a few times. Yeah, my mom and my sister. So, you know, I had other difficulties in my life and my mom, she used the religion. She took it a step further and she would use that to make me feel bad whenever I would be going through a tough time instead of helping me fix it or solve it or take me to a freaking doctor. I was told that I had to pray more and read the Bible more and basically pray it off. I had to anoint my bed, my bedroom door with oil every night. That was supposed to ward off evil spirits. Uh, Anoint my bed, anoint my head. I'm doing this to myself as a child, thinking that this is going to keep my nightmares away. I slept with my Bible on my chest. So you needed a kind of divine healing. Right. Okay. So then I would be brought to church. Yeah. Then I'd be brought to church and pastors would lay hands on me. And sometimes they would push, you know, trying to push me over. It was very confusing. It was scary as a child. You know, your parents are up there standing. All of a sudden your mom's laying on the ground. She doesn't look like she's hurt, but why is she laying on the ground? And, you know, they didn't really explain those things to me. My my mom, she would try to explain those things to me. Oh, it's just a joyful experience. And I, I had a hard time understanding that. And as I got older, those things actually happened to me. And I realized the reason why they happened to me, you know, I would fall over, whatever. I was already conditioned right. as someone in the audience. Right. Hypnotists do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, magicians do this. Mm-hmm. They condition people. They manipulate the situation to make you feel something with music or they say a phrase over and over that makes you think, oh, I'm allowing this to happen. Uh, So, yeah. So that was basically, you know, my experience growing up was a lot of hellfire and brimstone messages, uh, things like that. When I got older, I started to be more interested in cults or other religions, because I don't know, I guess I was wanting to answer some questions for myself. So I looked up at some of the signs of, you know, cults and things like that. Which I was um, just pulling up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, were you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. Hey, Luther, on the same page here. I was just pulling up my little cult checklist because the, that business of, of mind altering practices, meditation, mm-hmm. chanting, speaking in tongues, denunciation sessions, and debilitating work routines. Uh-huh. are used in excess yes, and serve to suppress doubts about the group and its leaders. That is one of the, um, that is the third uh, uh-huh. characteristic of what we refer to as uh, destructive cults. Yes. Right. In and of that itself, was it can't evident in like my church a, and my home. Yeah. 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 Right. Wow. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can laugh about it now, obviously. Yeah, we can. It's not funny stuff. It's not funny stuff. I had nightmares until I was in my 30s. Yeah. Terrible, terrible nightmares. And they didn't go away until I started to separate myself from a lot of the people who were basically causing or, you know, had encouraged these things. Uh, I cut it off from them. And then my nightmare stopped. I had no idea they were even connected until that point. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I was going to ask you, yeah. do you think, oh, do you think the nightmares had to do with, you know, there's also the fact that 
you know, you kind of go, okay, well, so what? Religious practices are just destructive. And you go, no, that's not really the point. The point is that there's actually biology going on here. And I love diving into the science yeah. a little bit because it's kind of revelatory. You know, it's not just a matter of opinion. It's a matter of you ramp up somebody's anxiety levels. You put them in a, mm-hmm. in a headspace where they are constantly feeling, you know, where fight or flight is constantly kicked in. And you're raising yes. hormone levels. You are you are activating neurotransmitters that are changing things in the brain. And you do that long enough. This is why it says in excess. If you do this long enough, yes. hard enough, and certainly the experience mm-hmm. you're describing was that because it was part of your home life, not just something you would go do on Sundays, then you're actually mm-hmm. making biological changes in the little developing brain of the of the kids and. You got yes. you got to understand this isn't just a matter of differing opinions this is a matter of actual of actual science with this. This is actual science and I'm here to say that yes being involved in all that it damaged me. I have complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. PTSD is essentially a brain injury. Mm-hmm. And you can't really it doesn't really go away. I mean, you can get better with certain things, but you know, you're never really it's never going to go away. I mean, I don't think I could ever walk into a church and just not shake or get nervous sometimes. Even though I know nothing's going to happen, my subconscious is conditioned to think this is where scary things happen. And, you know, because it wasn't just the indoctrination. There were problems within my family. There were problems within the church uh, where bad things were happening. There was abuse. There was violence. There were, you know, drug things being covered up. and. Drug thing. I only ever, well, I only ever knew people in my church. So, and we were taught that if we reached out to police or whatever, we would be taken because we were going to be persecuted for our faith. Oh, God, of course. Essentially, we were being abused because of the because of the beliefs in the faith, and they didn't want CPS coming in and disrupting, you know, their God given family order. Wow. Uh, so. So whenever there was a problem, it was always swept under the rug. Uh, can you, can you I don't know tell me you, about what some of those problems might have been, just so we get an idea of what we're talking about here? Okay. I'm going to share this experience because it's my experience. Uh, and it also is it's connected with my home life and my church. So just to kind of give you an idea, this is a lot of times like how cults kind of work. <laughs> um my brother was, uh, I, I don't want to go too much into his story, but um, he, he used drugs when he was growing up. And, and that doesn't make him a bad person. That was just his experience. He was dealing with some stuff and he had a, you know, stint for his off non, you know, problems. And, you know, this there is, was... This, this is as a teenager? As a teenager. He's now a teenager. My brother is uh, 11 years older than me. So I, I was about seven so he's about 17, 18 at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, there was one night where my parents went to a teacher's meeting and more or less, uh, my brother was babysitting and he didn't really want to babysit. He wanted to go and spend time with his friends, you know, doing things that his friend How did. for you a 17 year old. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> with substances and things like that. So he didn't want to babysit. Uh, so I was just kind of like throwing a fit or whatever. He wanted to send me to bed without dinner. I got upset. I put my foot down. No, that's not right. You know, I'll just have my, fine. I'll go to bed. I'll just, can I just have my dinner, please? But he didn't want to bother with that. Ended up locking me in the room. So I'm 
starting to become aware that things aren't right with my brother. He needs some kind of help. He's not handling something very well. And I, I didn't want him to get into trouble, but I wanted him to have help. And I knew, oh, I can't call the police because they're just going to persecute us for our faith and our beliefs. Right. So, uh, cause we were homeschooled and you know, all that kind of stuff too, right. which was very, very controversial back in the eighties. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially yeah. in the state of California. So, right. uh, yeah, especially Christian homeschooling. <laughs> Although the indoctrinating. Was, yeah, no. <laughs> and if everybody from that time, or if you have knowledge about this, cause I, I, you know, I lived through it too. I was a teenager in the eighties and, um, there was the satanic panic. Yes, there was. Oh, yeah, we had one right down the street from our church, actually. Yep. Uh, that was something that I had to drive by every single Sunday night. I was scared out of my mind. On the way to church, I'd look out the other side of the window, and I wouldn't see it. I just never look at it. But on the way back, I always saw it coming, and, you know, the the circle with the star. And the, I mean, it used to scare me so bad. And knowing that that stuff was really I mean, in the Pentecostal movement, you're taught that these things are real. You're not taught, oh, here's the information. And when you get older and you can make the decision yourself. No, they tell you at a young age, this is the way that it is. And if you don't accept God, you're basically, you're going to hell. And so that was my life growing up. So I reached out to members of my church because I'm taught that, you know, I'm supposed to trust these people. They're my Sunday school teachers. They're people who love me. They're my family, my brother, my sister in Christ. So I basically call them, not knowing that they're all at the same teacher's meeting. I leave messages asking for help, basically, saying, you know, my brother is basically wigging out, uh, you know, in my seven-year-old way. And um, I don't know the whole story from then on. I remember just being really tired, just falling asleep. And the next day, I think, or the next couple of days was church. The next thing I remember is we're getting ready to go to church like normal. I kind of forgotten about everything Nobody had been home. Nobody had answered. So I'd left all these messages on people's answering machines. So no one called back. So I was like, oh, well, I guess nobody cares. (laughs) So I forgot about it and went to church. And I guess people at church had already been talking about it. And I'm pretty sure someone had alerted my mother because she pretty much shut it down quickly before I even was aware that anything was happening. And I came in church and uh, I remember standing at the back of the church one by one, every person that I'd called and asked for help, basically they shamed me and said, don't you know that your brother could have gotten into a lot of trouble? It's like, well, yeah, he wasn't really taking care of me and he threw a chair at me and you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I wanted him to be responsible for his actions. Oh, he, well, he didn't, he wasn't trying to hit me, but he was definitely like using it to scare me and terrorize me. He had thrown and it had kind of smashed against the wall. Got it. So he was being violent. You had um, reason to be afraid. Yes, I had reason right. to be afraid. And yeah. it's hard for me to talk about that because I don't want to paint, I don't want people to judge my brother for that. Well, it's one incident. It happened a long time ago. Yeah. Come on, guys. He is uh, clean now. He's been yeah. clean for several years. I don't know how long now, long time. He's got his life together. He, he's doing good. I want everyone to know that. Right. So if anyone knows me, knows our family, like, please just be sensitive with this material because I love my family. I don't want them being talked bad about, you know, but, um, but yeah, at the time it was very scary for me. And this was like 87 or something or eight, maybe a little bit later than that, but yeah, around that time, that was a long time ago, but yeah, I asked for help and everyone just came and shamed me and 
basically told me I did the wrong thing by saying anything. Right. And yes. And I was like, oh, shoot, I made a mistake, a big one. And I'm in a lot of trouble. I did, I did something wrong. You know, they told me I did something wrong. So as a kid, you know, you're learn, you learn to trust the people around you. And, um, and it didn't end there. If I might point out, um, just looking back at my little checklist here, the leadership Mm -hmm. induces feelings of shame and or guilt in order to influence and or control members. Mm -hmm. Often this is done through peer pressure. Yes. And subtle forms of persuasion. So it's not just from on high. It is a peer pressure situation. And that's exactly what you were experiencing as a seven-year-old. Yeah, I was seven years old. Very young. Right. I didn't really know what was happening. It took me years to, I mean, for it's so funny. I hear when I used to hear people talk about this, I used to laugh. But having, you know, mental blocks where you don't remember anything from a certain time period, I had that. I didn't I didn't think I remembered anything from when I was seven years old. But I do. I just didn't like going there because I felt like nothing happened. And then I started to go back and pick up my memories. I was like, oh, I remember exactly what happened when I was seven. I was basically ostracized or, you know, shamed publicly. And then because I was homeschooled, my mother, she not only grounded me, I wasn't allowed to use the phone, of course. I wasn't allowed to see any friends, which the only friends I saw were at church, pretty much. Uh, I wasn't allowed to go to the neighbors at all. I was still expected to go to church on Sunday, but I was not allowed to talk about things that happened at home. And uh, not just that, but my mother, she basically stopped taking care of me. Uh, in, in what way? How did that happen? Um, I remember being seven and having to, my mother just being at home, but not really taking care of me. I remember having to do, learning to do my laundry. Uh, our house was a hoarder house. It was not a nice house. My mother had serious mental problems. Mm. Uh, and my father, he was a Vietnam vet, so he had PTSD from that. So it, it wasn't a very, you know, healthy functioning home. And being Pentecostal, we did not believe in mainstream uh, therapy or counseling of any sort outside of the church. Right. That's another thing. Uh, you know, if you have any problems, if you're in a cult or whatever, they don't want you seeking help outside of the group. Right. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Do you think so that's it was another because thing. of your dad's experiences <laughs> in the war? Did that is that what got him involved in this, or turned up the volume on it? Just kidding. Um, I'm just asking. I don't know. I mean, it's possible because I know that a lot of people of the Christian faith, you know, when they're at their darkest moments, they seek God. And, uh, you know, I don't doubt that that's part of it. I don't think that was my father's motivation. Because okay. uh, that's how he kind of grew up too. Uh, my grandfather, he was very involved in the church. He passed when I was five, but he was very involved in the church. He played music too. So more or less kind of had the same upbringing that I did, uh, but with less physical abuse. I, w- I was abused, but I wasn't physically abused all the time. I was spanked, you know, because oh, sure. that's another thing that, you know, they definitely were all for in the Pentecostal movement, spanking your kids. My dad spanked me when I did something wrong. Okay. Uh, that Was that with the rod? Um, no, he would just use his hand. Okay. He was a big guy. All right. <laughs> so he didn't need anything extra. My mom, she was smaller and daintier. So it was with whatever she could find that was lying around like a hairbrush or, 
a coat hanger. I mean, I laugh about it now because it's like, it's kind of funny, but it's not good. It's not healthy. It didn't help me at all. It, it right. just made me more, more upset and angry. I was like, why can't we solve this problem without anybody having to be hit? Right. Exactly. You know? Well, you know, there's this, I've definitely gone on rants about that as well. And I'll, and, but it's been a while, so I'll do it again. Mm-hmm. That, you know, child abuse, uh, you it's know, this, okay. this banking nonsense is, it's total horseshit. I mean, it yes. really is. It is, it is just straight up child abuse. You do not yes. beat someone into being a better person. It always goes the other direction and you can actually create and again, this has to do with chemical processes in the body. It's not about, you know, the bruises that you're leaving, which in and of themselves are traumatic enough mm-hmm. and are going to be remembered. I mean, I was going to yeah. comment earlier as well on the things that you remember when you're seven. Well, what are you remembering? So, you know, probably the same kind of stuff I'm remembering. The shame incidents, the, pro- the, 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 the times of pain, the times where your life felt threatened, where you felt, you know, like unsafe. Yes. Yeah. Unsafe. Right. Yes. Those are the things that 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 stick up here. You know, not the nice pleasant moments (laughs) all the time. Yes. And you know, you're just laying that in on your kid, and you know, and there are people who think, well, you know, sometimes you got to give them a swat or something. And I'm kind of like, I, 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 you know, I get it. I think it's lazy parenting. That's what. That's what my partner says. He's like, it's lazy parenting. If you can't solve this problem without hitting your kid, you know. He's like, what parent doesn't ever just, oh gosh, I wish I could just smack him. But, you know, because that's our human nature. We just, ugh, you know, we're, I mean, come on. But, well, you know, you know it's still not okay. <laughs> but how come I don't right. smack them? Guess what? Because they're going to smack me back. Yeah. And a seven-year-old yeah. isn't. Yeah. And, and if that's the differentiation, if that's the judgment factor as to why you can beat up on this kid and you don't beat up on people in your environment that you want to smack adults, then the problem yeah. is you know, yep. not the kid. Yep. Yeah. So I had spanking. And like I said, you know, my dad, he spanked me in the biblical way if I had disobeyed or whatever. Um, but my mom, she was different. She'd spank me if I called her out on some of her bullshit or if I found a contradiction in the Bible or, you know, she just didn't like me opening my mouth. Mm. and um, she would always tell my dad that I was sassy. I was talking back, but my dad, I was so separated from my father that my dad really didn't know what was going on at home. So I couldn't go to him and, uh, and stuff like that. So that made it more difficult. So after this whole thing with the church happened and I publicly embarrassed my family, uh, yeah, my mom, she stopped cooking for me. I mean, she'd cook at dinner because my dad was home and she didn't want my dad thinking that, you know, she wasn't feeding us. So, but I mean, breakfast and lunch, I was completely on my own. I was seven years old, learning how to use a gas stove by unattended with cast iron pan, trying to make a grilled cheese sandwich, you know, things like that. And it was just me and it was my schoolwork. You know, I knew what I had to do with my schoolwork, you know, so I would do my schoolwork pretty much by myself. Um, It was, it was lunch at 11 o'clock and I watched Reading Rainbow and Mr. Rogers um, eating my burnt grilled cheese sandwiches, uh, with dirty clothes on. Um, because if I had things in the wash, my brother would come and he would take them out of the wash, wash his things and just leave mine on the floor, you know, things like that. It was not a good environment for me. Yeah, I get it. So, so, which is another reason why, you know, indoctrinating children, all this stuff, it's bullshit because it makes them vulnerable to being abused and neglected, which I was 
for a lot of the time. I, and my mom was always afraid that CPS, CPS would come and take us away. Um, well, and sometimes I wish they would have. Fear that. Yeah. Exactly. There are times I wish I would have. Yeah. But um, you know, but there are also days I think maybe I was in the best place I could have been, mm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I struggled with that for a long time. And yeah, you know, also when I was seven years old, I was at home. The only time I was allowed to use the phone was when people would call for my brother and uh, you know, his friends around the corner uh, with, you know, the substances and things like that. Um, his, his friend would call on the phone and he would talk kind of nasty to me, knowing that nobody else could hear. And I would always tell my mother, you know, I don't like talking to him. I feel uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, I didn't say I was uncomfortable, but like, how, you know, however, a seven-year-old says, I don't like him. You know, I, eh, he just rubbed me the wrong way. Um, but my, you know, my mom, she would be like, oh, he's just kidding or whatever. I said, yeah, but he's asking me when I can go on a date with him, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, she didn't care. I was pretty much required to answer the phone when my brother's friend would call. And I would always try to tell them that this guy is icky and I don't like him and I don't like talking to him. And I don't feel like I should have to. So that was hard too. So it was like a little bit of like indoctrination from church being kept at home because I uh, brought shame onto the church or caused a problem for the church. I'm essentially being punished just, you know, justifiably according to the Pentecostal group. Wow. Um, have you talked with your <laughs> brother about this as adults? Um, no, I never actually got the opportunity. Uh, I, I, I'm very open to the opportunity, but it wasn't like he and I had a bad relationship over that. Uh, we, we did have a pretty good relationship in our, you know, in a few years ago, I lost, that's another story. I lost some contact with my family members basically because I broke away from the church and also realizing my own trauma. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it started to leak out onto my kids. So I detached myself from my family because of that. Mm. Uh, they were starting to do kind of the same things to my kids that they were doing, that they had done to me. Mm. And they were tolerating some of the same things and it was triggering me. And I said, no, 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 we're not doing this. That's when a light bulb went off and that's when all these memories started coming back. And that's when my PTSD really got fun. It was in my 30s when I had four children and I was still in the church right. and still more or less raising my children the same way. I was not happy and uh, I made some major changes. I stepped out of the church, went to therapy, got diagnosed with the PTSD, tried to get, you know, cope with that. And then I was estranged. And then I, I, I lost contact with my family because I just, I couldn't be around them. They weren't, I tried talking to them, my parents about things, but they weren't really receptive. I don't think they were ready to hear a lot of it. Cause I know a lot of it, they were, it was unintentional. They were just raising me how they thought they were supposed to, cause they believed all of that stuff too. They weren't just using the religion to abuse me. They, they really believed that they were doing the right thing as parents. And so I had to go through a lot of uh, letting go of certain things, certain hangups that I had with them. Mm. Uh, forgiveness, which is a touchy uh, subject for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I don't That's tolerate good. or condone their behavior. And I seriously do not, will not ever tolerate it or condone it or excuse it. But I can say there's no way they can ever repay me for the damage that was done. 
So I'm just erasing the debt and I'm letting go from that. And okay, you know, there's nothing you could do to pay me back. There's nothing they, you know, even if they could, I mean, you can't repair that kind of thing. And so I just, I forgave them for that. I stopped being angry at them. Like I said, they, in a lot of ways, they thought they were doing the right thing. My mother, she has mental illness. And so there was a lot that I had to forgive and just kind of accept and move on from. And, uh, but I couldn't have done that without the support of therapy and my support groups and people who, uh, a lot of people who were like me who came out of the church, you know, and I talked with them a lot of people who were experiencing family estrangement, they really helped me a lot. And so I guess, you know, what I want to say is like, I'm not trying to bash anyone's belief or faith, but please do not indoctrinate children. It is not healthy for them. It is abusive and they're vulnerable. Um, it's not okay. So, yeah. yeah. I think we're only Something needs now to change. Starting, to, starting to really seriously look at that as, as yeah. a thing. And not just a matter of differing opinions or beliefs, but actual, like, there's, you know, again, there's science and stuff on this. Mm-hmm. What caught, what, you mentioned that, you know, there was incidents where your family was starting to treat your children the way that you had been treated in this sort of, like, light bulb moment for you. Can you describe more specifically exactly what, what happened that doing, you know, that, <laughs> that, that moment? Or was it a moment or was it a series of things? You know, for me, having been raised in Scientology and, and having been gone all in on it, I mean, really, uh-huh. as far as you can, um, for decades. Oh, it, I nerded out on your podcast like, oh. a few years ago, watched so many things. I Yeah, all that stuff uh, is really, really interesting. Yeah, it's pretty wild stuff. <laughs> But the, but the, you know, people ask me, they used to ask me all the time and I, and I, and I described in detail, you know, the various light bulb moments, but there were a series of them. It was a lot of seed planting over years that until I finally had my ding final light bulb moment, but it took a lot of time and effort and, and thinking for me to get when it actually started. And it started 10 years before. Uh-huh. Yeah. Know, first sort of big, wait a second, something's wrong here. but okay, well, it's wrong. I see that it's wrong. I'm not going to say it's not wrong, but look at all this good. So I need to keep going until, you know, build up, build up, build up, build up. And and I'm a There's a dangling carrot. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh I I was a real slow learner. Right. And the, and the, and the indoctrination was deep. I mean, I'd, I'd grown up with it like you did. So what was, how did that path work for you? Um, yeah, like you said, it was, I started questioning the faith, you know, when I was a child, because I saw I was studying the Bible so dang much. I, you know, I saw, you know, how could you not trip across some contradictions and, you know, things like that. So, and that's what they didn't like, like me answering questions. They tell me to read the Bible and pray more, but then they were getting upset that I was actually doing it, I suppose, Mm -hmm. Um, because I was learning things. I was asking questions. And when you do that, you know, they pass you along to the next teacher or the next person that they think can handle you because they can't anymore. Um, So you go along with that. So it started when I was really young, but you're taught to trust God. You're taught to listen to God. You think that you hear God sometimes and, or you hope that you hear God because you believe that you can. And uh, you know, and so, but then as an adult, I started realizing, you know, I've been doing this for so long. I don't feel like it's helping me. I feel like it's only making things worse. 
the most hurt and pain I have ever gone through in my entire life has, has a connection with the church. And uh, I mean, I've been sexually harassed. I was sexually harassed as a teenager in another church uh, and it went on for years and no one did a thing. Uh, it, it was a fairly big church. It was Foursquare actually. Uh, and so it was just things like that that are just constantly being tolerated. I was like, I, whether or not this God exists, I can't be in a, in a, in a religion that condones this, this kind of behavior. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I can't see what happened to me happen to my kids. So that's kind of where it started. It was like, I just don't want to be a part of this anymore. I didn't really give a shit. Sorry, can I cuss on oh, please. Yeah, no. <laughs> I didn't really give a shit whether it existed. Okay, so I didn't really give a shit whether this God existed. He's very narcissistic and abusive. He condones slavery. He condones sexism, racism. Um, you know, I mean, if you want to, what's that Bible that has where it lists all the contradictions? It's actually really fun. Whether you're a Christian or not, you should read it. Uh, it shows uh, the, uh, the analytical Bible. I can't remember. I got to ask. I, I, <laughs> I should have written that down. I, I'm interested myself. Yeah. If you look up like biblical contradictions, mm. something, I think you'll find it. But it's really, really interesting. And I was like, oh, these are the questions I had when I was a kid. Oh, look, they're answered in another chapter and they give a completely different answer. You know, so it's like if you really, really actually read your Bible and dig deep, you're going to find this stuff for yourself and you're going to realize that most of it is all set up just to control you and think about who actually put the Bible together. Mm. Do you know? <laughs> oh, well, I know it was a yeah. lot of people over a lot of periods of time. Yeah. Well, the actual writings and things like that, but some people say Constantine, mm. you know, uh, mm. you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of political things. If you really do your research surrounding mm-hmm. the Bible and what was happening at, at that time. Mm-hmm. And if the, Bi- you know, if Christians believe that the earth is only what, a co- you know, more so or less a couple of th- the young earth. Right. Yeah. Right. And it was, you know, how uh, Enoch was supposedly 900 something years old, you know, it was like, well, that would have meant that he was around when Jesus still lived after the flood. So did he die in the flood? You know, so you start asking yourself these yeah, questions. Lots yeah. Of questions, <laughs> and if Noah you, was you know, a few hundred years old too, right? Nine, yeah, like nine hundred, yeah, or something like, like that. Number, yeah, yeah. And then after a while, God supposedly punished the people and said, "Okay, you're not allowed to live that long anymore." Right. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sure that's exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I think, uh, and obviously, you know, we're going to sit here and rag on this. That that's yeah. this is because of a literal interpretation. Yes. But if you want to, it's a whole different conversation to me. If you want to have a conversation about the the moral principles of the Bible or the mm-hmm. um the allegories of the Bible or the, you know, the things that are there to be learned. Cause I think that there are some contributions that have been made by this body of literature, right? This, this, Mm -hmm. this morass of mix up of, of legends and stories that go back way all the way back. I, I I think it's as a piece of literature, as a piece of history, it's, there's a lot of valid conversation to have about it. It's mm-hmm. when you cross this line to, oh no, that is God's literal truth. It's, it's right. a, you know, he said it, we, you know, it, we were the conduit, we wrote it down mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. put it in a bunch of, you know, uh, jars and found them years later and put it all together and here it is. And we've got the, the inspired work. And let's ignore this manuscript and this manuscript and this manuscript. We won't talk about those because those don't 
fit in with this already contradictory yeah. narrative. And we won't talk about the psychotic tendencies of, of the Old Testament versus the New Testament and, and all of that basic problem. It, what, no, 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 no. It's all just literal truth and you just have to pray on it. And, 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 and when, it's when you cross that line that I think most of us in the atheist world or agnostic world go, are you guys out of your minds? What are you talking about? You know? And that's where right. kind of lose the, I think that's where people lose the plot on it, you know? Yeah. The vast majority of people are not that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Well, that was the thing. It was like the difference between me and my other friend who, you know, she just went to church on Sundays, mm-hmm. you know, with her family mm-hmm. and, you know, they weren't getting beat at home. They were allowed to attend public school and they weren't told that, you know, their daughters weren't told that they had to be wives and moms. That's right. That's the only thing you're good for. Did you have rock music? Uh, did you have music uh, censorship? Okay. Yeah, I did. Well, yes. It, but it was like if I had my own radio in my room, there wasn't really a whole lot my mom could do about it. Oh, okay. So they you did know, you. They they gave you a little bit we of. Had, well, we were all musicians, so to not have a radio that would have been insane in our family. Oh, so yeah, we okay. definitely listened to the radio and things like that. I think I was maybe a young teenager when I first started listening to secular music other than like music from the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. which is what I listened to all growing up was like the oldie station. Uh, uh, um, well, uh, well, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. No, well, well that was one of them. Right. Lawrence Welk. Uh, my mom liked the Big Joe polka show because she grew up in the Midwest and all her family did polka. But uh, we're getting way off topic here. But uh, let's see, what was that? Yeah, Oldie Station. Was, it wasn't until I was older where I started listening to more secular music. and um, But I was also a worship leader in the church until I was in my 30s. And so I, the majority of music I was listening to, even as an adult, were, was Christian music. It was hymns and it was okay. contemporary Christian okay. music. Like, like the Gothard guys, the Duggars, you know, for example, um, you know, and nothing with an African beat, they say. Right. Nothing with a nothing with a rhythm, nothing with a it depends yeah. which church you go to. Right. That's uh yeah. Curious. That's some why it's curious. only voices. Uh I had an ex-boyfriend yeah. whose church they were only allowed to sing. So they just had the little, you know, whoo, and then they would sing. Uh no clapping, no instruments of any kind. Right. You know, but in our church we were allowed to have music. But yeah, there weren't any drums. Right. You know. Right. In the Pentecostal church, you know, you didn't need drums. You had the stomping of the feet anyway, you know, right. <laughs> the people dancing around and it was too loud and you didn't want to scare the old people. You know, it just, it varied when you went to church, you know, different yeah. churches. Uh, so sometimes we had drums, sometimes we didn't. But it wasn't until I started to break away from the church that I started listening to, uh, let's see what music says, Lady Gaga. <laughs> I never listened to any of her stuff. And I actually, you know, I loved the Joanne album. Uh, Adele. I never listened to her stuff, which I was like, where, how was I living without Adele? <laughs> you know, and I hadn't, I did some, you know, a lot of exploring of the world, seeing what was really out there and knowing that it wasn't such a scary place. And all those people were a lot nicer to me than my family had treated me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, this is, you know, much safer environment for me to be. Mm-hmm. I still get anxious uh, walking into a bar I still get anxious being in those places where supposedly something bad's going to happen. But now it's like, I don't think anything scarier than a hellfire and brimstone message and anything I experienced in the church, I don't think anything, you know, that's scary could happen 
you know, in this place because we're all just sitting here having fun talking. And if something happens, it happens. I can't control everything. I can't just pray the demons away. There are none. It's just, you know, right. that's what I've come to believe anyway, is that there are none. Oh yeah, no, and they're, they're, I don't have they're, nightmares they're all, anymore. They're all yeah. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> a little curious, and and again, I'm being super light about this stuff. I mean, I get you know this is serious stuff, and we've definitely yeah. gone, gone serious on this channel. It's, but it's I, good to laugh about it. Sometimes. It actually is. It can be very cathartic. Um, yeah. Do you still believe? Um, I sort of. I sort of. Let's see. I'm kind of at the place in my life where I don't. I definitely don't deny that there's a possibility that there is a you know a higher entity out there. I I, I wouldn't say God, but I mean, there's a, it's a big universe. I mean, there's you know it's hard to believe that it's just us out there. But um, as far as believing that I need Jesus for salvation and all that, I I don't. Okay. I don't believe that I'm going to hell. I don't believe there is one. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really believe in a heaven. I don't believe in, I, you know, I believe that the earth regenerates its own energy. If you pass, eventually you'll become part of other living creatures. Um, but yeah, I don't, yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I believe in reincarnation. Right. So I don't deny the existence of a God, but right now I don't really see that there is one. Uh, you know, and, but, you know, it, it doesn't bother me. I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not afraid anymore. I don't have that fear that I had for so long. You know, like I said, my nightmares are gone. I have better functioning relationships. I have more confidence when I work. I'm working full time, which for years I couldn't because I was so, you know, messed up mm -hmm. with dealing with my trauma. I dealt with, you know, severe depression, anxiety, coming out of the church and realizing, you know, all this stuff and how, you know, I was denied public, you know, education. I still have no college degree, but I plan on enrolling sometime this year. So, uh, you know, hopefully y'all can bug me and, you know, keep me accountable for that because I really do want to go back, but I am nervous because I've never been in a public school system, <laughs> you know, but it's like, I'm, you know, pushing 40 now. I think it's, you know, let's not wait too much longer. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> cool. No, it's cool. It's good. I was, yeah. I, I was just curious, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you know, people are going to want to think they were whatever they're going to want to think. But I wanted to, mm -hmm. I wanted to um, ask about that. I guess I was sort of thinking, you know, parents, parents are funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're learning uh, right as they go. Well, exactly. You know, you know there's, a, yeah. there's a lot going on there. I mean, you have kids, you know yes. how it is. You know, mm -hmm. you think it's going to be this way. And then it, of course, comple it's completely not that way. It's a totally different way, right? And, yes. And you think, you know, and then you think, of, but of course, then there's other things where you think, okay, well, this and this. And yeah, it is that and that, you know. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and it's funny because there's so many factors. There's so much push-pull in our heads. You described with your father as a, a sort of cycle of abuse where he's raised this way, then he raises you this way. He marries a woman I who raised my kids that way for a time. Yes. Right. You know, yeah. so it's, it's sort of the cyclic thing and it's really hard to bust out of it. And these, and these light bulb moments don't just happen. You know, they sort of build and take some time. Yes. Um, and without counseling or even awareness of the, of the fact that it exists or that there is a thing called a mind and, and there is a thing called trauma and there is a thing called abuse and these are real things. 
like even getting up to just acknowledging that can sometimes be a huge milestone. Right. You know, when you're in this perpetuated cycle of mm-hmm. generation after generation. And that's, yes. that's part of the problem with this because I believe that, you know, that, that by far, I, I believe the vast majority of parents, you know, have a kid and feel nothing but overwhelming love for this little being that they have created. You know, that it's just, it just floods you. It's, it, 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 you know, it's, it, when it's, when it's there, I, I, you know, I had my own unique experience with that, which was very unfortunate, but mm-hmm. at least now I'm back in touch with my kid, but I wasn't there when he was born. I didn't get mm-hmm. any of that. He was literally on the other side of the planet. Wow. So my experience with this is very different than what most people experience, but I appreciate the experience of, of what, you know, what it's like to be a parent and how hard that can be. And especially when you're piling on this multi-generational, you know, sort of abusive teaching. Right. And that's the fight, that, that's the struggle that we have. And I, I push back, not from the point of view of, look, you evil parents, you're just being a bunch of meh. Right. Or like, look, can we recognize that you're part of a process and you have the freedom of will and, and choice to, to make decisions about that now based on new information that maybe your parents and your grandparents and certainly their grandparents did not have access to. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's why I want to, you know, that's what, that's sort of the, I think that's when I'm in my best moments, that's the best attitude I have about that. Um, but I wanted to know what you thought about that. You know, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the Pentecostals would say there's generational curses, but no, like you said, it's really just a cycle and it continues. And if I want to look back on each of my parents and how they grew up and how they were raised and how their parents were raised again, yeah, it's been passed down and none of them had formal education, uh, outside of Bible school, maybe. So their lack of education was phenomenal. And I mean, people would ask me growing up all the time, they'd ask me if I knew who Michael Jackson was because they weren't sure if I knew who Michael Jackson was. It's like, well, come on. I know who Michael Jackson is, but yeah, I don't really know any of his songs, but I've seen him on TV, you know, or, you know, I know of him and I've heard his music, but I couldn't tell you any of it, you know, um, you know, stuff like that. So when I, and, and also, you know, my dad had trauma, my mother had trauma. And so not just stuff from the church, but they had their own trauma that was, again, not, not dealt with. And when you don't deal with your trauma, you can't really cope with day-to-day life. And when you can't cope, you don't treat people in your life very well. Uh, and that can happen. And so it's, it's, it's a, I mean, yeah, it is an abusive cycle. And uh, that's why I eventually had to cut ties with my family because they weren't interested in talking about that. They weren't interested in counseling or therapy because I wanted to have a good relationship with my family. I did not want to leave them. Um, that was the last thing on my mind. I never thought, I never even knew that was an option mm-hmm. uh, because then I would have been the prodigal daughter and I, I, and essentially I was when I left, I was treated that way. I had people contacting me who hadn't seen me since I was seven years old, telling me what a horrible daughter I was for just, you know, not communicating with my parents. 
but I'd sent them several letters explaining to them uh, why I was basically taking a step back and saying, hey, if you want to reconnect with me, I'm fine with that, but we need to do this through counseling. You need to see a counselor for your own, you know, by yourself. And after you've done that, then maybe we'll come and get together and, and talk. Uh, so that was kind of like my ultimatum, I guess, uh, because there was a lot of things to talk about. And I didn't feel safe in the conversation uh, because, again, my mother was very narcissistic. And when you know someone who's very narcissistic, it's almost impossible for anything to go your way or, you know, comfortably, or it doesn't come back on you somehow. And so I didn't feel safe to enter in any, you know, communication with them without a therapist present. Uh, no, that makes so, sense given given what you've described in terms of your your family life and upbringing. And right. Stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting because one of the things that we talk about with cults, uh, or one of the one of the red flags or indicators or you know proofs that you've been involved with something like that, and you know the thing about destructive cults is of course there's a spectrum. Everything yes. a spectrum. There's no yes. such thing in our world in our existence as humans as black and white. Mm -hmm. You know, absolutes are not a thing. So, you know, you have a spectrum of destruction or abuse or whatever, you know, the, the oppression that, that, that a group can bring to a person. And of course, every single person who gets involved with the group has their own individual experience with it. So some people have not so bad of an experience and other people have an incredibly horrifying right. experience. Right, right. You know, so, so judging groups is, you know, you have to recognize that there's nuance and that there are spectrums involved here. Mm -hmm. But one of the biggest indicators of, you know, when you're involved in a group that doesn't, does not have your best interests at heart is when the membership or the group itself as a whole, you know, what happens when you try to leave? Right. Right. That's the big question. You know, and this is one of the reasons why when people talk to me about, you know, the Catholic Church being a cult or all religion being a cult, I go, yeah, no, really not so much. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, there's extremism. Yeah, you can point to individual incidents and go that person. Yeah. You know, the Catholic child abuse is unforgivable. But yeah. does that they all have a potential for being a cult, at least in their little. Well, that's you right. Know, that's right. Church. Yeah. But, but but no Catholics can, you know, the Catholic Church isn't going to stalk and harass you and hire private investigators to find you if if you just want to leave. Yeah. Scientology might. Yeah. Uh huh. You know, whether you ever go public or not, depending on who you are and what your involvement with them was, yeah. they might just come mm -hmm. after you. And yeah, and Pentecostals are not super rich or anything, at least the ones I, I knew, but they would send, you know, all their other little minions and they would, you know, come exactly. and leave me messages. And, you know, That's yeah, right. there was a lot, a lot of pressure. And that was very, very hard. I didn't know, I didn't really know anyone outside the church ever. Yep. That, you know, who wasn't a neighbor. And again, I never could trust them because they weren't believers. And, you know, so it just went back to that was my thinking exactly. for a really long time. And it's on the, it's again, it's right on the checklist, right? Which yeah, we'll, uh -huh. I'm just using to refer. So people who don't know about this and are watching yes. the show right now, you know, this is actually described to be like, we understand this stuff, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, we lived it. Know, <laughs> the most, yeah, well, exactly. I, <laughs> but this is written by sociologists and psychologists and stuff too. I mean, this is a, this is now a field of study. Yes. Um, and the most loyal members, where well, the last point on the checklist is the most loyal members, the true believers, feel there can be no life outside the context of the group. They believe there is no other way to be and often fear reprisals to themselves or others if they leave or even consider leaving the group. Yeah. So, you know, it's just this is these are just, we're kind of checking the boxes off here because uh, 
I want to point out to people, this is, this is not just, you know, this is bad stuff. Yes. Bad stuff to, to get involved in. And as a grown ass adult, you have choices. As a kid, you know, you're second gen, I'm second gen. Nobody ever asked us. Yep. Nobody asked. I, I, the only reason I was born was because there was a lack of missionaries in the world. And uh, so that's that why my mother had me. And I was dedicated to the Lord when I was a baby. I was basically given to God. Wow. So that is the reason for all the indoctrination. They raised me to be a missionary and only a missionary. And which was also hard because I was also female. I did work for a church for about a year and a half, uh, but I never received a paycheck from them because women weren't allowed to work in the church. So instead they gave the paycheck to my husband and put it in his name. So then I get sick and need to go on disability. And oh, look, I can't because I didn't actually work because I didn't have any paychecks in my name. So there was a lot of financial abuse that was going on in the church. And, you know, I was too dumb to, you know, I was uneducated. Well, and so I couldn't thing, stick up for myself. I couldn't protect myself. Yeah, it's really a matter of ignorance, not not stupidity or dumbness. I mean, yeah, you're yeah. clearly a smart person. You're a well-spoken person. You have a podcast. There's nothing, <laughs> you know, you can't be a dumb person, generally speaking, and, and accomplish a lot of things like that. I know some dumb people do it, but it's hard, <laughs> you know, and you're clearly right. not that. So, <laughs> well, you. Uh, you know, but ignorance, yes. that's a thing. You know? It is a thing. Yeah. It is a thing. Um, I didn't have sex ed growing up. Mm. Uh, they talk, you know, basically, yeah, don't masturbate. And, you know, with, you know, with uh, miraculous conceptions like the Virgin Mary, you basically are taught, yeah, if you masturbate as a teenage girl, you could wind up pregnant by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, that's not very, that's not exactly what they teach, but they more or less make you afraid to touch yourself, right, <laughs> you know, and right. they, they make you uncomfortable. It's in your own body. Uh, as a woman, I felt like I was a sex object, even though I wasn't supposed to be, I was always, you know, showed to cover up and not expose the shoulders or anything too oh, slim. You have the neckline, collar line and the and the Yeah, I mean down to the down to the heel I and the I could long. never do this before. I could right. never do this before and take off my blazer and have anything show it. Sorry, a little risque, a little burlesque there. <laughs> oh you will, but so I could never right do that before. <laughs> but yeah, I never had the confidence to do that because I was always made to feel I was ashamed of my body. Right. And so there's a lot of that, you know, kind of thing going on in in the church too. And if someone, if you're stalked by someone who finds you attractive, well, you must be doing something to cause them to stumble. And they make it the woman's responsibility when a man uh, comes on to them. And it's very frustrating because then you ask for help. No one helps you. Right. Uh, and it goes on. That's what happened to me as a teenager, the spotlight guy. He was telling me at 16 years old, I had to be sexier on a Christian in a Christian play on stage and uh, he was a spotlight guy, and I had to stand there on stage with this guy staring at me, uh, telling me, knowing that he thought I should be more sexy, and then I'm afraid to move because I'm afraid to show any signs of any kind of sexuality, and so then I'm stiff. You know, it's just it was very, very damaging, and no one did a thing. And right. uh, it's, a, it's called that a is not okay. Yeah. yeah, and they gave him an excuse because the guy had cancer. Well, sure, because he's a guy. I mean, yeah. you're the you're the female, right? You're the woman. You're now actually. Actually, let me ask you because I I don't want to assume this. 
in Pentecostalism or in that in the church you grew up in and how how you were taught, um, you know, the umbrella of authority and the male is the head and he gets his authority from, you know, straight from Jesus and all that. Yes. That has its roots, as I understand it, in the concepts of original sin, that the yes. female is the one who betrayed, you know, God, and therefore uh, she's the one who's to blame, and therefore mm-hmm. that's where that's where the sort yes. of faith justification for, you know, for the misogyny and the victim blaming comes from. Is that? Yeah. And do I have? Am I? Am I? Is that right? With with yes. The, okay. Yeah. Menstruation is basically a punishment, right. you know, and and um and I had terrible menstruation growing up, and I was always made to feel like I had to just put up with it. Yep. it was my lot. That was just what happened. You know, yep. I wasn't allowed to take birth control pills or any pain medication. I mean, I could have like Tylenol and stuff like that, but my mother would never take me to an actual doctor to mm. for help. Because she thought the doctor would just give me birth control pills. And then because I had birth control pills, I would just go out and start having sex, thinking that I was just like that. I don't know why my mother ever thought that about me. I was the most prudish girl growing up. I was I was like, I was very, very prudish. Again, I never would have taken, you know, I never would have shown this much skin ever growing up. Um, you know, really not normal for me. Uh, but yeah, as a woman, you're taught to believe that you are the weaker sex and you were the manipulative sex. Right. And um, so if you cry, you know, that's a sign of manipulation when it's like, no, I just cry because it's an automatic response to how I'm feeling. I'm not using my tears to control anything. I'm just a woman. This is just what happens <laughs> when I get emotional. I can't help it. And I hate it as much as you do. Um, so yeah, I was all growing up. I was taught, don't you dare cry. Uh, and I still have a, a hard time. I, I cry sometimes even when I, you know, when there's nothing really to cry about because there's still that fear there. Oh my gosh, don't cry. Don't cry. And then I'll cry. And it's like, oh God, so, you know, it's my trauma coming back because I'm afraid, so afraid to cry that I cry, you know, just thinking about it, just trying to hold it back. And it's like, it's like, I'm, I'm punishing myself, Yeah. you know, for, because I still think that I shouldn't cry, that it's wrong somehow. Uh, so, you know, things like that, um, you know, learning cars, that was a, a man thing, mowing the lawn. That was a man thing. Of course, I was too small to push the lawnmower, but, uh, you know, things like that. I wasn't allowed to really learn or watch or, you know, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to do video editing. I remember I wanted to do like video software and I wanted to produce, uh, documentaries and movies. And of course my mother said that there was no money in that, you know, but my brothers, they could go to tech school, you know, and they could learn those things. It was okay for them. You know, neither one of them graduated, but, you know, so there was a lot of like definite, like misogynist, you know, sexist role, you know, uh, those gender roles. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't know what else to do when I finished high school. So I got married. I got married when I was 21, uh, just a few months after I would turn 21. Uh, and then I had my first child at, we see, uh, 22, almost 23. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's it's a long now. Yeah. It's like, I'm trying to think now because it's her birthday today. How many years? (laughs) Um, yeah, I had four children children. in six years, four children in six years. Of course, the last two were twins. So that's how I did that. (laughs) But, but, um, yeah, I felt pressured to have all these children, uh, you know, right away. That was another thing. Are the hostels quiverful? Um, Not all of them. 
Okay. Uh, but I was raised, you know, more or less like that. Um, you want a lot of kids. Yeah. My mother was one of seven. My dad was one of five, but my mother's cousins, they have like, I want to say about as much as the Duggars have more or less. Uh, well, some of my cousins have more, some of them have, yeah, my cousin, uh, I have a couple cousins there. They've had, I think, uh, 12, 13 now. Damn. I'm not sure. Okay. I've lost track. Damn. Uh, and some of their kids are already having babies. Yeah. You know? It's crazy, man. My mom came from a Catholic family. She was the oldest of nine. Ooh. And I, my dad was <laughs> hard roll. Uh, yeah, and my dad was in there at, at I think he's got uh, seven or eight siblings. I mean, big families. They were Midwest raised. Yes, you know? yes. And uh, uh-huh. so it's not just the quiverful folks that are into this, but as a but as a religious teaching, have lots of kids. That's yes. the quiverful thing. In case you guys yes. are, are wondering what that's up. Up mm-hmm. with that quivers, you know, like all the arrows in your quiver being like translated as as a kid. And yes, you have lots of them, you know. For yeah, God. they don't believe in birth control, you know. Right. Right. Um, God, your birth control. Yeah, our abstinence. Once you have a kid, you're having it. Yeah, or abstinence. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of tough when you're married, <laughs> right? Why be married? You know, why? I mean, oh, kind man. of a boring relationship <laughs> if there's yeah, if there's not none of that going on. But then, it'd be but yeah. Kind of reproduction is the basis of morale, you know, it's yes. like thing. So I yeah. can't tell you how many homeschooling families I knew who had oodles of children. Yeah. I remember one family, they had six girls and they just, they needed that boy, you know, because girls weren't exactly good enough and yeah. couldn't really carry on the name. Uh, so they just kept having more kids and some of them, I mean, it baffles me sometimes because I was on my way there myself. Had I not had endometriosis, I would have had more. I would have had more if I could have, because I thought that that's what my job, but that's what I was raised to do. That's right. Um, was be the caregiver and take care of everyone and use my talents to serve Jesus. And, you know, um, but I missed out a lot in my life. I missed out on education. I missed out on certain relationships. Uh, I married a man too young and who was also in the same faith. And so when I ended my marriage with him, that was also hard because he's still in the movement and, you know, we co-parent our children. And so he raises them his way and I raise them my way and it doesn't always work. And it's frustrating as a parent sometimes, but, you know, we're working that out and we're trying to find a common ground and making sure that the children aren't being indoctrinated, but they are in fact giving, being given a choice uh, because he is very aware of the damage that happened to me. Um, I don't want to, you know, smack talk my ex or anything like that. Cause he went through a lot of that with me and, you know, he was the one who uh, pointed out that, Hey, you haven't uh, had any nightmares since you stopped talking to so-and-so, you know, it's like, Oh, that's true. That's funny. I didn't even think of that. And every time that person comes back into my life, the nightmares come back. So he made that connection for me. I used to uh, throw up every time my family would come over for like a family dinner. I I didn't realize that. Why am I getting sick? And he's like, you know, you only get this way when your family comes over. And so he was kind of helping me connect the dots. So he basically got me from point A to point B, but you know, we no longer believe the same thing. So our marriage just doesn't work anymore. Uh, so that's, you know, that's one thing. So, you know, we do what we can. Uh, 
that's it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I worry about my kids. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the rule stands that they don't have to go to church if they don't want to. Good. So good. Yeah, that's good enough for me. It's a start. It <laughs> I exactly. never had that choice. It was every Sunday, Wednesday, you know, Sunday morning and night. And oh gosh, as I got older, there was just more indoctrination. Like we don't have to get back into all that stuff again. But I was at church pretty much every day. Well, that's and, the thing. Yeah, because <laughs> you, you did have. The unfortunately more unique experience of being raised by people who consider themselves ministers who were yeah. hard, hardcore, you know, mm-hmm. really all the way in. And fortunately, like I yeah. said, there's, there's spectrums here. Mm-hmm. Would, um, oh, I was about to ask you something. And yes, this has to do just get it just on that quiverful thing or, or kind of curious within the Pentecostal experience that you've had. One thing I noticed uh, when I was doing the Gothard work was the fact, the surprising fact to me, initially surprising fact, that it was mostly women writing these books, pushing this dogma and pushing these messaging. All the blogs are run by women, you know, the Duggars yes. blog is run by the mom, not, not you know, not Papa Duggar. And, um, and I find that fascinating. I sort of assume they're probably second gens. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that cycle of continuing belief, because um, you don't want to think that a woman would purposefully choose to enter an oppressive misogynistic system. But I don't know, maybe, don't they, think, maybe they don't. You don't I've, you don't realize that you're in it, especially if you were raised in it. You really, truly right. believe, you know, and I really did feel like that was my place in life was to be a mother and only a mother and a wife and to support my husband and his ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, so you grow up, you believe that this is true, that this is God ordained, that this is the way that things should be. And so dad goes out and makes the money, you know, which is the norm, uh, you know, in the Pentecostal movement, mom stays home with the kids and she is the one who takes over the teachings and she rears the children and dad is supposed to basically be there as a disciplinary and as a leader, Uh, so yeah. Um, so when you grow up and like you said, it's like, are these women choosing this? It's like, I was so far into it when I was in my thirties. I, I wasn't aware at the time that I was indoctrinating my own children and setting them up for the same kind of harm that was in store for me when I was a child. And that's when all of this other stuff started triggering me. And I realized, okay, I can't do this. This is not good. For my kids and I'm, I don't want them going through this. So, you know, but that doesn't happen for everybody. I allowed myself to even ask these questions when I hadn't for a long time. If you question God, you are, you are made to feel like you lack faith. And if you lack faith, then you're not really connected with God. And um, so there's that you're always maintaining this invisible relationship with a God you can't see or talk to uh, and you're always trying to please him. And this is what God wants. I need to make God happy. I need to get into heaven. I want to be with God. I want all of the suffering to be over, uh, because apparent, and we're also taught to suffer for the church and mm-hmm. suffer for our families. So again, if anything happens, that's difficult or whatever, we're expected to just deal with it. Um, okay. all part of God's yeah, plan, all part of God's plan. And, uh, yeah, if you're gay, 
Demon. Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was another thing, too. I mean, several of my family members came out. Uh, I identify as bi, you know, or whatever. You know, I could go either way. But, uh, you know, and that was something I never acknowledged growing up because I was made to feel that it was wrong. And I was ashamed. I was like, but this is who I am. And if God made me who I am, why would he make me in a way he doesn't like? Well, that's a damn good question. I wonder why he would do that. Yeah. And is he supposed to fix me? Because all of this reading the Bible and praying isn't really fixing things, you know, fixing that part about me. So then I just learned to accept myself the way I am. And, you know, I don't need a God in order to do that. I don't need anybody else to tell me that I'm okay. I've learned to be okay with who I am, not giving a care what anybody else thinks. Their feelings are not my responsibility. My feelings are my responsibility. My choices are my responsibility. So as an adult in my 30s, now that I'm aware of all this stuff, I have to make the decision, don't go there. Don't tolerate this kind of stuff. Uh, don't allow your kids to be in these kinds of environments that are potentially harmful because I know what goes on in, in at camps and things like that. Oh God, we could have a whole episode about camp. The food was so terrible. We spent our free time standing in line at the snack food bar because the food made everyone sick. So it's like, we've got Bible study. We've got this. We have to play these vigorous games and this, uh, this and this lined up. And then we have lunch. Nobody eats. Everyone pukes. We all throw our stuff into the buckets. And then we all use our free time to get food that's somewhat substantial. That's abusive. Kind of reminds me of being in the <laughs> Oh, I know. I was going to say, I was gonna say, no, watching your videos about your experience on the Sea Org really helped me. I was like, shit, I'm not very much different from this guy in some right. of my experiences. And just, yeah, the indoctrination, the constant like push to do these things. Um, you know, and then if we didn't want to go swimming because we, you know, we were on our period and didn't want anyone to know if we weren't swimming, the pastor would pick us up and throw us in the pool while we were menstruating. And it was so embarrassing and everyone laughed and made fun. We weren't allowed to say no to the activities unless we had like, you know, a genuine physical reason why we couldn't participate, right. which was hard to get. We had to come with a note from our doctor outside of town before we went to camp. If we had, you know, if we ever wanted to say no to anything, we weren't allowed. Wow. And yeah, it was, you know, my camp experiences, some of them were fun. Some of them were pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Sounds but, like um, it. And yeah. it, you know, it's, the, <laughs> it's the patterns of abuse that are same, same from one of these groups to the next to the next that I think one is fascinating. Yeah. People are fascinated by this, by these behavior patterns and these and these sort of templates you can sort of lay over these groups, which is, you know, as I said, reflected in these checklists or reflected in the the writings of, you know, lift in and thought reform and, you know, authoritarian systems. And yes, and you look at this stuff and you just go, Jesus Christ, you know, it really can manifest anywhere. It can manifest uh -huh. in family. It can manifest in a relationship at work, manifest at work. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You uh -huh. can end up working in a situation where the boss is just a tyrant and creates this kind of situation because you have to kowtow to him and et cetera, et cetera. Or it ends up in, you know, groups with millions of people. And, yeah. you know, and the experience might, ch might, might change from one person to the next, but everybody's getting a bit of this. Everybody's getting a bit of the oppression. Um, and yes. even the guys, you know, the guys have their own experience mm -hmm. with it too, even though they're supposedly in the power positions, 
you know, there are ways that they are made subservient and the, yeah. and the, and the mind control and the, and the thought reform. It's, it's, you know, the stuff's effective. I don't know what to say. It's, it, you don't mm-hmm. think you're, you, you think you're immune to this stuff. Then you start learning about it and you go, holy cow, man, none of us are immune to this stuff. It's all around us. You know? Oh yeah. The men are, the men are definitely oppressed too. you know, not just the women and the children, men definitely. I mean, there's a huge responsibility for them to provide. And if they can't provide, if they get laid off or something, they're treated like they're just, they're not good enough they're, that they failed. That's right. And, you know, being a stay at home dad, that's not really something because then it's like people make assumptions about molestation and stuff like that. They don't feel that it's natural for a for a man to be around any female alone unless they're their wife. Mm-hmm. And you know, my mother, she used to make me feel really uncomfortable. I would be sitting watching television as a little girl sitting Indian style or whatever and she'd be like, "Close your legs around your father." And I'm like, "Why?" Right. What's wrong? I mean, I was very unaware and she made me feel like I was always, you know, having to keep tight, like, you know, like a clam and don't do any gestures to, you know, invite that in. And so as men, you know, it's like, how many, how, how often just do men think of sex? <laughs> no, it's like, how can you, that's gotta be, you know, mental torture for a man to never, you know, try to like, suppress his own thoughts and natural reactions to people that he finds attractive exactly. and it's like my partner and i we don't give a shit if we see somebody attractive ooh, we just appreciate their body and we move on you know it's like what's not to like <laughs> exactly exactly and this right and this kind of thinking unfortunately you think it's kind of fringy you think it's kind of like you know oh those weirdos out on the farm or something but <laughs> i may i and please invite everybody to listen to the, some of the statements made by our vice president you know, he won't be alone in a room without his, you know, with a, with a woman who's not his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he literally has said some of the things you just said out loud. He has said as principled positions that he holds. And you go, dude, you are so indoctrinated. Like, you, wow. You know, like, wow. Yeah, he also talks like you can't even, they, you're made to feel like you can't even trust yourself. Right, that's uh, the point. That's yeah, you're made. Yes, that is a whole big thing you were yep. you were taught. I mean, it all ties together. You can't trust yourself. You can't trust your own thought process, your own feelings. Exactly. Uh, you're told to deny all of that because it's selfish human behavior and you're supposed to go above that. You're supposed to be godlike. Uh, but you're human. You can't be God. Exactly. <laughs> if you're human. Exactly. And the idea, and I'm just going to be straight up. I mean, I, I, I we're not going to get all into politics and stuff, but right. Mike Pence came up. I am going to point out that mm-hmm. exactly what you just said is the exact reason why I would be kept up at night worrying about this man having direct access to the nuclear codes. Because it's like, if this is a person who can't feel like he can trust his own judgment, yeah. who, who always has to prey on things and, you know, and cast basically spells. Yes, basically, yes. You know? Oh, yeah. It's like, I don't want magical thinking like that anywhere near that level of potential destruction, you know? And, and, and that's not about differing beliefs. That's about a mindset. Yes. You're already into no. thinking that, yeah, that person is not leading. That person's being led by their own uh, religion. And, yeah, it does get very, very scary. When, yeah, 
now it's like whenever I find out someone so-and-so is a Christian, it's not like I hate them, but I, I do worry. It's like, okay, are they going to make decisions for me based on their beliefs? Or are they going to make logical decisions that are for the benefit of the majority? Exactly. You know? And are they people um, who even can feel like they themselves, you know, the, the danger for me is, um, are they people who feel that they can trust themselves? Mm-hmm. Or are they people who, who literally believe there's a demon on their shoulder whispering in their ear and they have to somehow resist that? temptation or something. That's where I just go. They pray oh. and wait, God will fix it. Yeah, exactly. So that's my, yeah. uh, my little segue into there. So let's, let's, let me ask you this and maybe we can, um, maybe we can move toward wrapping up because I think we've, I think we've covered a lot of sure. really interesting stuff here. We did. We did. <laughs> this, has been, this has been fascinating as exactly as I hoped and thought. <laughs> it's been fun. So, yeah. Let me ask Great. you this. What's, Great. um, where are you going now? You got this podcast? Obviously, it's pretty clear to everybody yeah. now why the topic of your podcast is what it is. So yes. where does this go? How long have you been doing that? And where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> well, I see myself podcasting for a long time. Yep. Uh, you know, growing up in a musical family, I learned how to mix. I learned how to lay down tracks. So I used those tools, you know, not having a formal education. I used the tools that I did acquire growing up to produce a podcast. And the only reason I did it was because I wanted to create a, a resource that wasn't really around when I started this podcast. Now there are more podcasts talking about this topic, which gets me really excited. Uh, but when I started, there wasn't really any at all. And um, so I just had some encouragement from people in my support groups. And uh, so people call in the show and they talk about their experience with having going no contact with a family member. Uh, some are adult children who no longer speak to their parents for whatever reason. Some are siblings. Some are adult parents, you know, who haven't seen their children or talk with some of them are coming out of religion. Uh, Dave Warnock's been on my show. I don't know. I mean, he's a fascinating guy. He shares his story of estrangement coming out of his faith. Uh, and you know, his deconversion. And so there's a lot of interesting stories, but we also have therapists and counselors who, you know, offer tips and things like that. So I just really wanted to just create a resource for people and, uh, it's growing. I, we're expanding. We have a, a co-host. I actually met my partner on my show. <laughs> uh, he was one of my guests. And so we started collaborating. And, uh, so I mean, podcasting changed my life. I've met so many great people and I'm really thankful I got to meet you today because I, like I said, I used to nerd out on your show all the time <laughs> when I was coming out of this because I was learning things and I was like, oh God, I feel like I was a part of a cult too. And, you know, oh, I see that similarity and yeah, this is bad. It, you know, it really, really helped me. So I want to say thank you. Oh, but um, yeah, if anyone wants to go to my podcast, it's When the Bow Breaks podcast. It's on Spotify, you know, iTunes, all that. Where good podcasts are sold. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> pretty much everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, really cool. And I really do wish you the best of luck with this. And, um, you know, yeah, I encourage everybody to check you out. Uh, you check out your podcast there. And uh, let's go ahead and wrap up this conversation, but always leave the door open for more in the future. Absolutely. It's been great. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Awesome. It's been great talking to you. Uh, folks, 
out there who are listening, I'm going to now give my usual end of show pitch here, which is that if you find this show entertaining, education, and informative, please consider joining me on Patreon. It is the thing that keeps this show going and allows me to continue doing this job. And uh, frankly, I could use the support uh, because, you know, times are interesting right now. And there's been a lot of ups and downs in all of our lives, and I get it. And, um, but if you, you know, if, if this is content that is valuable and contributing to your life, then, um, then give me, you know, give me some love too. All right, guys, with that being said, I will see you next week. Bye-bye.